Hello, students. My name is Mike Estefan, and I thank you for joining me today for this month's mid-month episode on the EM Clerkship Podcast. Since we did not have a case this month, this month's episode is going to be on one of my favorite clinical topics. These patients are my favorite to take care of in the ER, as they usually come in crashing, but they get turned around just as fast. We are going to be talking about flash pulmonary edema. But before we begin, just a quick word from our sponsors at Pearson Rabbits Insurance. As you all probably know by now, disability insurance is critically important given the large time and financial investment that it takes to become a practicing healthcare professional. Specifically, what you need is own occupation disability insurance. Stephanie Pearson and her team at Pearson Rabbits will not try to sell you policies that don't make sense like policies that aren't own occupation. Don't wait until it's too late. Be sure to lock in a low rate while you are a resident before the rates skyrocket as an attending. Check out www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation appointment with Stephanie Pearson and her team today. Now, back to the episode. So today we're talking about flash pulmonary edema. We're gonna start by talking about what this actually is, the pathophysiology, followed by rapid diagnosis and management in the ER. And then I will end the episode with a case of how I personally manage these patients. So flash pulmonary edema, sometimes referred to as SCAPE, which stands for Sympathetic Crashing Acute Pulmonary Edema, and other times referred to as hypertensive heart failure, is something I personally see in the ED a couple times a month. Typically, this is defined as the rapid onset of cardiogenic pulmonary edema in the setting of hypertension. It is not necessarily due to volume overload. We will get back to this in a little bit. So the patient that presents like this will typically have underlying heart failure or some kind of cardiac dysfunction. They will be doing fine until there is some kind of trigger that causes a rapid increase in their blood pressure. This can be something so simple and so common as just forgetting to take their morning blood pressure medication. It could be from smoking some crack or other sympathomimetic drug. It could be from alcohol or opiate withdrawal causing worsening hypertension. It could literally even be from stress and anxiety of something completely non-medical. But anyways, so their blood pressure goes up, meaning there is more afterload that the heart has to pump against. For you and I, the heart can compensate, but for those with underlying cardiac dysfunction, this will lead to shifting a fluid back into the lungs. Now, as you could probably imagine, having fluid in the lungs makes it harder to breathe, and the sensation of drowning and the sensation of having dyspnea is anxiety-provoking, right? It's not a good feeling, and that triggers your flight-or-flight response, a sympathomimetic response. you got catecholamines circulating now, which are going to further increase that afterload, which is going to further increase the pulmonary edema going to the lungs as the heart can no longer pump against that high afterlobe, and it turns into this vicious cycle where patients rapidly decompensate. Now let's talk about volume for a second now. Being volume overloaded will certainly make these patients more prone to developing flash pulmonary edema. But you can even be hypovolemic and present with flash pulmonary edema. Hypervolemia is not a requirement here. 
And this is one of the major differences between flash pulmonary edema and your run-of-the-mill subacute CHF exacerbation due to something like Lasix or dietary non-compliance. That is, flash pulmonary edema is rapid in onset and is related to acute rises in blood pressure and afterload. Whereas subacute CHF exacerbations are gradual in onset and related to overall volume status and not due to acute rises in blood pressure. So now let's talk about how these patients present. These patients present with acute onset, meaning over minutes to hours, respiratory distress. They will have rails on exam and they should be hypertensive. Side note here. Most of the time, EMS will appropriately place these patients on CPAP. CPAP reduces venous return and afterload and will actually cause a drop in the blood pressure. So sometimes these patients actually come in with a blood pressure of only 130 or 140 systolic, but they're on CPAP. So even if they're not hypertensive right now, they surely were before they were put on CPAP. Their blood pressure was likely above 160. These patients might even have signs of volume overload but they might not. Don't let the lack of pitting edema on your exam fool you here. These patients will have a chest x-ray done, certainly, and their chest x-ray might show pulmonary edema, but remember, this is acute onset, and chest x-ray findings can lag behind clinical presentation. So sometimes their chest x-ray will look normal. So more important than that chest x-ray is your clinical exam and your bedside ultrasound. Exam should reveal rails, though sometimes with CPAP going on in the background, these can be hard to hear, which is why I always recommending using POCUS 100% of the time on these cases to nail the diagnosis. What you are looking for here are widespread bilateral beelines indicative of pulmonary edema. Now, there are obviously other things that can cause bilateral beelines on your ultrasound, such as a multifocal pneumonia. In these cases, however, the patient should be able to tell you they've been coughing, or they're febrile when they arrive, or you might see something called hepatization of the lung on your ultrasound, which is a fancy sonographic term used to describe what pneumonia looks like on the ultrasound. So in summary, this is a clinical bedside diagnosis. You're not waiting on labs or chest x-ray to make this diagnosis. The patients should present in respiratory distress that was acute in onset. They should be hypertensive or at least close to it on CPAP, and they should have rails on exam. Though I don't really trust my exam with CPAP going on in the background, and I utilize ultrasound to look for the presence of pulmonary edema. So let's talk about how we treat these patients, and then I'll run through a mock case on exactly how I personally manage these patients. So the first step and the most important step is positive pressure ventilation, either CPAP or BiPAP. This is going to do a couple things. First of all, it is immediately going to reduce both the cardiac preload and the afterload, which is going to reduce backup and shifting of fluid into the lungs. IPAP will specifically help reduce work of breathing, while EPAP will specifically help with oxygenation. The combination of all these effects, both the preload afterload reduction, the reduced work of breathing, and the increased oxygenation makes positive pressure ventilation the first immediate treatment for flash pulmonary edema. Positive pressure ventilation is so important 
to the management of these patients that if for some reason the patient cannot tolerate the CPAP or the BiPAP, I will give literally any medication to allow them to tolerate it better. I've used IV Versed before, I've used IV morphine, whatever it takes for them to tolerate CPAP or BiPAP, you need to give them. Once you've started positive pressure ventilation, the next step is nitroglycerin, but not just any nitroglycerin, high dose nitroglycerin specifically. At low doses, nitroglycerin tends to cause venodilation, but at high doses, it causes arterial vasodilation, directly resulting in a large drop in the patient's afterload and blood pressure. We usually give a bolus of nitro and then start patients on a nitro drip. So technically, nitro is contraindicated if the patient has recently used a phosphodiesterase inhibitor, something like Viagra or Sildafinil. And if this is the case, you can use something like nicardipine or clavidipine infusions to drop the patient's afterload. Now, if you need further afterload reduction after these agents, you can give the IV form of enalapril, which is an ACE inhibitor, and it has been shown to be beneficial, but in my own clinical practice, I've never gotten to this step. I've always been able to turn these patients around with high-dose nitroglycerin, plus or minus a calcium channel blocker on top of that. Now, the last step in the management of these patients with flash pulmonary edema is to assess their volume status. Ask questions about dietary changes or missed doses of diuretics or missed dialysis, and then examine your patient. Again, looking for lower extremity edema, JVD, a plethoric IVC on ultrasound. All these are findings of hypervolemia. If the patient is clinically volume overloaded, give them a slug of Lasix if they make urine or arrange dialysis if they're aneuric. However, if they are not clinically hypervolemic, then volume reduction is not necessary. Okay, let's do a mock case. This is how I personally handle and manage my flash pulmonary edema patients. So EMS brings a patient in clear respiratory distress. I first have the patient empirically placed on BiPAP or CPAP if they are not already on it. Next, my next move is to look at that blood pressure. If it's greater than 130 systolic, I'm running to grab the ultrasound immediately to do a quick bedside ultrasound of the patient's lungs. If bilateral B lines are present, then I ask the nurse specifically to give two sublingual nitroglycerins while we wait for IV access to be obtained and then to immediately start a nitroglycerin drip at an initial rate of 250 mics per minute with rapid up titration parameters. My goal is to get their systolic blood pressure down to around 120, 140, but again, that depends on the patient, depends on what their initial blood pressure was when they came in. Now, by giving these patients two sublingual nitroglycerin tabs before starting them on a nitro infusion, what you're doing is giving them a bolus of 800 micrograms of nitroglycerin. Now, while the nurse is giving the sublingual nitro, getting IV access, and starting the nitro drip, this is when I'm doing my volume exam. Again, all the things we just talked about. I'm asking about missed doses of Lasix or missed dialysis sessions or changes to diet. I'm examining the neck for JVD. I'm examining the lower extremities for pitting edema. And I'm doing a POCUS exam looking for a plethoric IVC. Now, each one of these findings individually is not too sensitive or specific, so I'm using the whole clinical picture. I don't rely on a single finding. 
If based on my clinical exam, the patient is hypervolemic, then I will typically give 80 milligrams of IV Lasix, or I'll be calling nephrology to arrange dialysis if the patient is aneuric. And usually that's really all it takes to manage these patients. These patients will come in pericode, peri-respiratory arrest, and sometimes will be eating a turkey sandwich comfortably 90 minutes later. It is so satisfying how rapidly these patients get turned around. Plus, nursing staff often thinks you're a wizard because you diagnose and treat them before any labs even come back. They go from being on death's door to being admitted to the floor, sometimes step down, but I, I maybe have had one of these patients that didn't turn around immediately and had to go to the unit, but almost always these patients end up on floor or step down. And that's my take on flash pulmonary edema. Again, positive pressure ventilation, High-dose nitroglycerin and diuresis, if hypervolemic, is usually all you need to do in order to fix these patients. I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this, especially if you manage your patients differently, either in the ER or in the pre-hospital setting. Send me an email, mike at emclerkship.com. Also, I have a very special announcement. Zach and I will be taking submissions on potential ways that we can torture Maddie. Er, I mean, potential case ideas for the game. We will give you a shout out if we use your case idea. Send your ideas to mike at emclerkship.com. And until next month's case, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.